Hi, I'm Dora from Dora Nicolau and my drink of choice is a chai. I'm Gemma from Contently Driven and my drink of choice is red wine. And I'm Michaela from Inspired Office and my drink of choice is a sparkling white wine. Work-life wine time supports the responsible consumption of alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Work-Wife Wine Time podcast the podcast for Australian women in business who are looking for connection and the support of other women who are sharing the same business journey. It's Makala here with you today, and I'm very excited to introduce to you my special guest, Kate Osborne, who is the founder of The Cocoa Matrix. And today, Kate and I are going to be talking about how to successfully navigate professional and personal relationships when you work with your partner. So, Kate, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you. Thank you, Michaela. I'm so excited. And this topic is a hot topic right now. So I've just come off the bat of doing three uh, different speaking events that the women were all very interested in this. So I think you've picked a hot topic. Fantastic. Love it. All right. So, Kate, can you start with telling us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you currently do? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Kate. Um, I am from Brisbane, born and bred, but live on the Gold Coast. Uh, Recently, I created some intellectual property that removed conflict from business and certainly within relationships. And so for the last two years, I've been um, really experiencing some incredible breakthroughs with uh, this leadership model that's much more intuitive Uh, than it is scientific. Now, I did a double major in psychology at UQ, and so I was all about statistics when I first went into the leadership game. I wanted bell curves and I wanted to know statistics and I wanted to understand success principles and um, about probably five years into working um, as a married couple, I realised that often the success principle that would work for one woman would not work for another woman. It was very unique Uh, And we had to tailor-made all of our products. And so that's what I've been doing for about 15 years, tailor-making solutions for high-end leaders to help get them work-life blend um, and ultimately scale their businesses and get freedom. That is fantastic. I love all of that, especially the work-life blend bit. Yes. I love hearing different ways of saying work-life balance because, you know, we all know it's not a balance. It's really, it's a flow, it's a blend. It's love that you've used that term. Yeah, and I think blending is good because you can be driving in the car, listening to this podcast on your way to do school pickup or, you know, on your way to a meeting. So how can we use pockets of time or exercising? And so I think podcasts are working woman's best friend. I could not agree more. (laughs) Um, So, Kate, tell us, I know that you've actually done quite a lot before you started what you're doing now. So can you tell us a bit about what you did before? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I finished university, I recognised I didn't meet any people. (laughs) So when you study the success of people as a psychologist, I thought that's interesting. Um, We've got a degree, which was a funny story because when I graduated, they ran out of ink and they gave me the empty scroll and they said, we'll post you your degree. We ran out of ink. And so that was my my photograph at UQ with my scroll is even more hilarious, I think. There was not even a degree in there. 
Um, and so, you know, I sort of was a bit of a sceptic of the higher education realm and I wanted to go and get real world experience. And so I got a round the world ticket at 21 um, and I travelled 53 countries in total oh. over the following um, period of time because, you know, to me, nothing beats life experience. You need to go out and actually meet successful people. And one of the ways I did that was um, doing care work. So being an Aussie backpacking around the world, um, there was a big industry opening up in the 90s, which was supporting elderly people that were living at home and their families needed a break. And so I joined an agency and actually it was a very affluent agency. And so I met um, two people in particular, Olive, who had dementia. Olive was incredibly wealthy, but had no clue as to why and how and who she was. And that had a, such a uh, massive effect on a 21-year-old, you know, psychology student that you think, you know, we all are striving for this particular space in time and Olive was terrified. She was scared all of the time and, um, you know, most of the time she would forget who I was. She would yell at me, why do I need to take on borders? You know, why am I feeding you? She didn't quite remember the relationship. And the second one was the sixth shareholder in Coca-Cola and he had married... Um, the founder's uh, daughter. So this was leading into third generational wealth. And um, he had no children, no friends, no family, paid a 21-year-old backpacker to sit next to him when he died. And that was a year and a half experience of, of me sort of challenging him to say, look, you know, how old are you? And he's 73. And I said, well, I'm 21. I'd recently broken up from a, a you know, a, a strong relationship, um, which was quite emotionally abusive. And um, I said to him, well, you're miserable. And he said, yes. I said, I'm miserable. You are 73. I'm 21. Teach me what not to do so I don't end up like you. And he had a real glint in his eye and he said, we'll start tomorrow. And he had one agenda item for me was to teach me how to think. And that took about seven months, actually. So in the seventh month, we celebrated my first original thought. Um, and I realised I had spent my life being a people pleaser and I'd really, you know, got very good at telling my mother what my mother wanted to hear and telling my brother what my brother wanted to hear and filling in university answers to what the professor wanted to hear. But I had never had anybody mentor me and hold my hand about what did I think. And um, so it was, a, it was a, a great experience. He encouraged me to go into business, ethical and moral business. He, he basically said, if I go and master the business models and then lay a moral and ethical foundation um, across that, I would never be out of work. And his prediction was true. I joined Flight Centre Limited at age 23. By age 27, I had a $7 million turnover with a, a team of girls that were incredibly focused on their careers. Um, and, you know, I recognised that learning to manage and build teams and selling was a passion of mine. Um, but let's face it, Michaela, it was exhausting. I had 73 team combinations in five years. Wow. And for the mathematicians in the room, like there's only 60 months in five years. And so, you know, at one point my husband suggested I should open a fertility clinic because anyone I recruited was pregnant within six weeks. <laughs> We, we were excited for the news of every single person that was trying to start a family, but it gets to the point where you're running business and, you know, I sort of faced that reality of people were being poached because they were natural leaders and I had to 
pivot in my head that this was a good thing, that I was raising up leaders and helping empower them to live their dreams. Um, and I was poached by the world's number one coaching organisation and they had at that stage 620-odd men and two women, one in Canada and one in New Zealand. And um, they could see that female leadership was the next frontier, um, but they had not been able to harness and um, produce a marketing funnel to get more women attracted. And um, I look, I jumped on board and um, it was a, a huge awakening for me that I actually loved um, going into businesses and being a generalist and really helping support and develop leadership from the ground up. And that was 22 years ago. So I have been following that passion ever since in multiple ways. Um, I sold that first business for a three times multiple, started a, a little boutique holistic um, business while I had three kids under four. And that's where my husband and I were working together. So, you know, happy days, bad days, challenging days, but we really had to work together collaboratively to help our dreams come true. Wow. What a story. That is amazing, Kate. That's, that's so incredible. Fun life. I'll say, because um, I have to say when you mentioned the little bit I read in your bio about being mentored by a Swiss millionaire in the art of free thinking, I thought, wow, that, that just sounds amazing. And it sounds yeah. like the things that, you know. He was he so angry. And, you know, most of the time people, when they're angry, you sort of move away from that energy. I was so angry myself. I got really curious with the mm -hmm. anger and I was like, you know what, I'm angry too. Like, come on, like, you're older than me, you should know better. Like, what, what did we do that has created this? Now, his wife had had a poisonous blood transfusion on the operating table. Mm -hmm. And so by actually sitting with the grief and letting him move through anger to actual acceptance was, you know, what I had studied at university, but now I got to practice daily you know, what that anger had done for his life, his health. He'd had a stroke. He'd pushed out every connection of his life um, and he was sitting in that anger. And, um, you know, that journey was, you know, I think I gave him as much as he gave me of learning to forgive and, you know, to see the world with curiosity is how come we've come together at this moment in our life? Maybe there's something I can teach you as well. And in, through his death process, that he was, he was a stubborn man and he wanted to die, but he couldn't die. And he was atheist. And, you know, so we had these amazing conversations deep into the night, um, just around faith and, you know, not to be afraid. And, you know, as an innocent 21-year-old, I had grown up with parents that had a huge amount of faith. And, you know, I understood death was like taking off a tight shoe, like just, just graduate, relax, just surrender. And um, he was a strong atheist and um, was terrified. And so that process for us was, is, was a beautiful story. And it actually, it, it helped me to frame my whole life to say, you know, we, we shouldn't be afraid. We should always ask bigger questions. And that's what the Cocoa Matrix is. It's a sequence of questions that help people to lean in and be curious about their fear. And, and, you know, pull a group of people in to have compassion for that fear and hear it out, but then not succumb to the fear, you know, like let's work with the fear to then get ourselves back on steady footing and surrender that you're not meant to be here alone, right? We're meant to do life together. 
I was going to ask you about the Coco Metrics a bit later on, but as you've mentioned it now, do you want to tell us a bit more about? Oh, look, I got um, shafted in business so many times, Michaela. Like it was, um, it got to the point where, you know, usually for me, there were doubters and naysayers along my journey. Um, the difference being is that, you know, a, a doubter just says, oh, that's impossible. Um, but the naysayer says, oh, it's possible, but Kate could never do it. Mm. And so, you know, I had uh, naysayers all the way along my journey where I would, you know, leave university and say, I'm going to go travel. And they'd be like, oh, yeah. You know, and I overheard my sister and brother, you know, saying she won't last three months. There's no way she'll be able to cope. So naysayers really drove me with a bit like a red rag to a bull. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so in my business life, when I joined Flight Centre, um, there was an opportunity for a very large share ownership um, you know, buy-in because the company was growing at 200% per quarter. And I set my sights on, right, I want to have as much ownership as I can. And, um, you know, I put all my eggs in that basket. I dedicated six days of my life every single week to, you know, build that vision and build that dream. And so when a knock on the door came at two in the morning and I watched the Twin Towers collapse, like who could have seen that coming? I mean, you know, there it just everything changed within six weeks the company had to um regroup and uh those share ownership options that looked like we could have had were no longer on the table we were working triply hard to be honest to be able to do the rework to you know look after all of our corporate uh, clients and then ANSET collapsed followed by 32 airlines like you know everything that we thought we knew started crumbling and just when there was a new kind of normal, then COVID um, precursor, which was called SARS, happened. Remember and SARS? so, you know, for me, I, I was always on this quest of if I'd only known better, if I had thought outside the box, I might have diversified a little more. And I can remember at 27 um, being approached by one of my top corporate clients trying to poach me and thinking I am too old to learn anything new. Now, 27. Um, yeah, I was 27, but... That's, you know, I had this lockstep goal. I would own five stores. I would have five share ownership schemes. I would be pregnant at 30. I would have three to four children in quick succession. And my life was so planned. And this was just this massive, you know, block in my path. And how could I learn a new career and achieve what I needed to achieve in under three years when it had taken me five years to get to where I was? And so... The Coco Matrix, I guess, was always in the background of me saying, what if I could, you know, get <clears throat> a mentor or somebody that could fast track what had taken me five years? Could I do it in half the time? And, um, and so I surrounded myself with, you know, the highest level of leadership and thought leadership. And um, on my 30th birthday, I um, had a, a, a company that was a $10 million asset. I had created 11 franchisees and 90 clients. I was one of the top franchise um, coaches training other coaches. We had 80 or so um, coaches that were learning from my programs. And uh, they cut all my franchise agreements when I was in labour with my first child. And so, you know, once again, I was like, hang on, it's, you know, I got to the top of the mountaintop and I thought that I'd done everything correct what could I have seen that this impediment of, you know, when you become a brand within a brand, um, how could I have not seen that coming? I should have had 
you know, the right question. I should have asked the better question. And so once again, I regrouped and I pulled a team of lawyers around me and, and we dissected every single question that I might have predicted. And so from there, I invited product specialists to say, okay, based on these legal questions, what product questions, what impediments to success could a woman expect if she did not know what she did not know? And they gave us the next sequence questions. And then we put in the top accountants and financial planners and said, so based on the plan of your legals and your product, what financial questions should we be considering? Um, and we brought in three clients and they paid an enormous retainer to come on this journey with us and answer all the questions. And from that was born a matrix of eight by eight, all the questions under each aspect of business that um, has provided me a framework when I go into a company and I sit with a leader and I say, what do you feel is the biggest problem right now? Where's the fear? And then we bring in all their top leaders and we get them to do the same activity with two post-it notes. What's the biggest problem they can foresee for this leader and where's your biggest opportunity? And they cluster around certain squares and, you know, it all the elephant in the room comes out. We look at it. We say, wow, let's talk about it. And then we sequence the answers to those questions. And, you know, we've been able to see some incredible collaboration through COVID where people didn't know how to navigate leadership conversations and now they're empowered. They know how to hold their posture even though they don't know what they're doing and, you know, they're grateful for the curiosity of leaning in to problems that they don't quite know how to solve. That is an amazing business journey, just listening to how it all unfolded. Yeah, so many. And it was always, now. yeah, every mistake I made, I was like, mm, what would Mr. Zollinger say now? Think, think, you know, other people must have had this. Mm-hmm. Be humble, find those people, regroup, rebuild. And every time I rebuilt, I built stronger, a bit like that Suncorp ad, right? If your house falls over with a flood, when we rebuild it, we'll make it stormproof. Every time I collapsed and fell down, I was like, next time I rebuild stronger foundations, much more clear inductions, much more clear conversations. Um, And that wasn't just in my business. That was with my husband and with my kids. You know, every time we had conflict, we would we'd lean in. We would have a, a whiffle. You know, what do I feel like expressing? And we would share our feelings and we would listen to that person, honor the truth and say, thank you. I didn't know you felt like that. And, and really just allow everyone in our three kids and, and a fabulous husband um, to be able to share what they genuinely feel and thank them for how they feel. We were not here to fix it for them, but we do need to acknowledge, you know, if people are feeling a certain way. Um, and it goes the other way. People can be happy, you know, and you're like, wow, that's wonderful. I'm so proud of you and affirm where they're at, but ultimately give them a safe place where they can come and express themselves authentically. And I think that's been the real secret to the growth that I've had is, you know, people can put up with me, uh, celebrate me, not just tolerate me, um, because I share everything. Yep. That's actually a really great segue into my next question. So thank you for that one. So you've already mentioned that you and your husband um, have owned and worked in business together. So I have to ask, how was how was that experience, especially right back at the start? Horrible. 
horrible. You know, I had led 74 teams to success. Do you think I could get him to finish a task that was <laughs> randomly quite simple if I had done it myself? We had to have arguments around what, which part's mine and which part's yours and where were you confused about you were going to call that person and, you know, what, why hasn't that been done? Um, I remember one day he, got, he went to the newsagent and he got this triplicate um, cash book and he said, you're going to write the list down. You'll take the top copy. I will take the middle copy and we'll have an independent third party monitor the third copy, you know, <laughs> because I was apparently saying things that I just assumed well, surely you do it in this order or that order or think about it. But um, so the first the first part of it, I found, you know, just my lack of communication and empathy and respect for him in that role. Um, he he really crumbled underneath that leadership, Kate, because I wasn't being wife, Kate. And um, and that was a really interesting journey for me because, you know, he can give it as much as he can take it. And so we had some cracking fights really like really great fights um, that I would leave and go, ooh, I have a lot to reflect on there. That is very truthful. Um, and because we were best friends from 21, you know, we weren't, you know, walking over eggshells in front of each other. He would um, just tell me factually and he's very melancholy and very detailed and so he was always right. And so that was frustrating for me because it sort of built up a little bit of resistance around our communication. And um, so once again, I, I do what I always did. I brought in a whole group of couples and uh, talked about it openly. And we started a dinner club. So the first Thursday of every month, we brought all our spouses together. And I had Kent, my husband, stand up and give the first talk of the night, which was don't ever let your spouse walk over you, don't ever let them coach you, don't ever let them. And he sort of armoured them up to work with an entrepreneur and then I would give a leadership lesson and then we'd just make friends, right? We just had a dinner party. Um, but that core group of people became the people we've journeyed through success with and, um, and we would talk about anything and everything and that led to us creating a, um, it was a 52 30-minute sessions. We called an organised argument. You know, you're probably going to argue which side are you on, Kent's side or Kate's side. They see everything opposite. And then we constructed it over a 12-month period so that they could have a discussion once a week. And we did crowdfunding, not that that existed back then, but we raised enough sales to pay for all the, you know, equipment, the audio equipment, the green screen and everything. And then we gave it out for free to their 10,000 clients of this coaching organisation. And um, it was interesting. We'd always get feedback of this week I'm on your side, Kate. You know, <laughs> to them, you should have a plan. You should have a budget. You should have cash flows. And the, the, the other spouse would be like, I'm with Kent. Don't ever put anything. Never guarantee your food budget. You just, you know, live life as you're hungry. Um, so that's, that's sort of how the first experience came out as arguments. We just argued and argued. And then we realised, why don't we organise these arguments and just talk about money Mondays at 7? And so we now, we still have a meeting Mondays at seven, things to consider. It goes for 30 minutes. We hate it. But we, there are certain things we need to discuss and get, you know, consideration around. Um, and, you know, some weeks are better than others, which is great. But the reality is life's over COVID has been just as challenging for everybody. Um, and so the reality was, yeah, it was tense and challenging, but we lent in once again and we, we were honest. So uh, we're still married, 22 years. So 
big achievement. Three kids. Three kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big achievement. It was essentially a course, was it, that you developed? Well, we, we did it just to sit on the couch, you know, talk straight to the camera. And then uh-huh. when my son was uh, 11 years old, I paid him $100 to turn it into a podcast, just pull the audio out. Uh-huh. And so it took him all summer to figure out how to do that and he made 100 bucks. And um, anyone can download it free now just on iTunes. That's fantastic. Yeah, Couples in Business, it's called, by Kate Osborne. Um, So some of the sessions, you know, are like see here, you know, on the screen, but obviously it's a podcast so they can't see anything. Um, But, you know, people get the gist of it and can listen to it individually and then come together and discuss it. Um, And as I said, for couples that are working in business, um, I get a lot of text messages saying, oh, my God, I'm so resonating with you right now. I'm furious with my husband. Um, episode 12 and I have to go back and listen to them because it was such a long time ago and have a little chuckle and think oh yeah that was a real sticking point we don't seem to argue anymore we don't argue at all and I just think that's the evolution of a good relationship is we've got to the point where um, you know I was just coming home I had a meeting an hour away from here and we've got a new puppy and so you know Kent left his work raced home then he thought well while I'm here I might as well pre-cook dinner because we've got a busy night tonight and he texts me to say I've put dinner in if you can turn it over and then take it out you know at 129 that'll be and I thought he must have intuited I was doing a podcast on couples because never before has he raced home at lunchtime to prepare dinner um but that's a sign as to where we how far we've come because it, it was such a godsend that he'd pre-thought about that. And, um, you know, that's what he is now. He's very supportive. He has always um, been the champion of my dreams. You know, he's not always gone along with them, but, you know, he's always said, I would hate to think that I block you in any way. And if I do that, you need to pull me up on it because it's just me. I'm just, you know, scared of it or or what have you. And so he's, um, yeah, he's quite an evolved man from all reports. So what do you think, like for other couples who are considering working together, so either one already runs the business and they're thinking, because I do hear a lot that, you know, um, because I mainly work with women in business. So I've come across quite a number of instances where the woman has been running her business and it's growing and she wants to bring the partner in to work as well alongside her or you know as part of the business so what advice would you give someone who is considering bringing their partner in to work with them inside the business look have really strict um deadlines so i'd say give it three months and just to see how you feel you know as as a leader in a business is it as leveraged as it could be if you just hired some lost soul off the street Because if in three months it's not, if you were working and inducting someone, they would be on probation for three to six months. And if it's not as leveraged as what you thought, then, you know, our goal when Kent came on board was to replace him as soon as possible, right? So we didn't have systems in place. We didn't have structures. We didn't have any infrastructure. So I couldn't recruit anyone because I was so busy. I didn't have time to induct them. And so that's that essentially the only reason that he joined our business was because it just made financial sense that he should give up the job that he was doing that he didn't like. 
Um, however, what we saw, the business was a vehicle to get us both what we wanted. And so the happiest day was when, you know, I sacked him and he happily resigned at the same minute because we had three months cash flow sitting in our general account to hire someone to do that shitty role where I was, you know, holding him account to this triplicate book. And what he was able to do is go and study. And so we essentially, our um, pathway for our business was to utilise him in growth phases and as an external support and accountability person because that's his strengths. And, um, and then I've hired virtual assistants to fill the gaps. Over time, I've had um, franchisees and specific employees within my organisations and um, Kent has always been the person they confide in. Right, so he, he's always there from a cultural point of view. They have his mobile number. When I'm fragile, he'll reach out to them and say, hey, just letting you know Kate's, you know, going through a rough patch and is there anything I can do for you to support you? And he really coaches them around, you know, those bumpy periods, um, you know, with my, all my personality defects and, um, and supports them and we'll have them for dinner and lunch and gatherings. And as I said, they, they tend to tell him more than they tell me. Um, and so I sort of see it as, you know, that's been the value that he's added is that people think, oh, okay, she's in a really dominant space right now, but, you know, Kent's sticking it out. You know, so if he's, he's a good person and he's hanging on for the journey, then I'll talk to him and he normally can help them see, look, this is just a 10-week sprint. We just need to get through this challenging part. Um, and then big incentives. The other advice I'd have is I, um, I sat him down and said, what do you want and what would hold you long enough to support me? And if that looks like me bursting into tears and you going to the shop and getting me white Milky Way bar, a library book, you know, with a box of tissues and put me in bed, or if that means you kicking me in the ass and pushing me out the door and say, get out of here, you've got to keep selling, you've got to keep going, what would hold you on this vision? And he picked a Ducati Super Sport in yellow. So he had always had a dream of this motorbike. And, um, yeah, I said, okay, if you stay on this journey for two years, and that's about as much savings as I had to make it, I had two years of savings, um, if we achieve a certain level of goals and we clarified the goals, I'll buy you the Ducati. And he did. Every day he, um, he's, he would look at this picture on the fridge and he would eat his cereal and say, you will be mine, you will be mine. And then, you know, he did what he had to do uh, for us to achieve that goal. Um, but about three weeks out, he was looking at Honda magazines and he was bringing Honda stuff into the house and he sat me down he said I think you just need to be a bit more realistic you know a Honda's a great bike and it would be good enough to get a Honda well he may as well have you know just said you're a loser and you're never going to achieve your dreams and goals because you know for someone of my um you know red rag to a bull it was like he just pulled the finish line out before I'd even got started and that's what it felt like. Three weeks to go, mate. So much can happen. And he's like, really? Let's just not kid ourselves. It's not going to happen. And within three weeks, I secured investor funding, recruited nine people, had an office completely fit out, and we flew to Bali for a celebratory weekend and picked up his Ducati on the following Tuesday. So I think he needed to give up on me for me to get started. Yep. 
And that was that naysayer doubter. Like I just, in my journey, I've just, it fires me up. When somebody tells me I can't, my brain goes into curiosity mode. If I could, how would I do it? And then it's amazing how quickly as a couple you can learn about each other is that did he believe in me from day one? Probably not, but it took him 97 weeks to get the guts to say, I just don't believe you. And so, you know, now when we set goals, it's really important he's on board. Um, otherwise, the, it just drags. The whole process just drags. And, um, you know, it can be pretty exhausting, um, especially if your goal is to have a baby, right? So that was something that I was very focused on was having a family. And child number three was not on his goal list and it wasn't in his capacity. And that took us a huge amount of time to get aligned with, you know what, this is, for those who watch Manifest, this is a calling. Like I know that I'm meant to have this next child and um, he was not on board and it's quite hard to have a baby without a husband. I mean, it's possible, but, you know, it's quite challenging. Uh, I'd say that was probably some of our hardest terrain we had to manage as a couple. Um, and the, the last one was getting a puppy, right? I've always wanted a puppy and we've never been mature enough, responsible enough, ready. I mean, we've got three children, but I'm not allowed a dog. And so that was a really interesting um, process. It was as hard to have a puppy as it was to have a child. Wow. And um, we have a puppy now. So, you know, he, he called it straight manipulation. I cried for a day and a half. <laughs> One day and a half, didn't get out of bed. What's the point of getting out of bed? Why would I work if I can't get my dreams at all? So he, he said I used mass manipulation for that one to get the puppy. Um, but certainly he's the one who loves the puppy the most. So that's What, what kind of puppy is it? It's a Groodle, a Golden Retriever oh. Poodle from Oodles of Poodles. And um, she's a client of mine, an amazing woman. And, um, yeah, we had, we had to get it in a specific window while he was weak. You know, I need a puppy, get me a puppy. And she's like, I've got this one coming. And, um, you know, essentially it was for our 12-year-old son who, you know, was going into high school and we were trying to teach him responsibility. And um, I think dogs are great for that. Um, absolutely. But it is, is you know, I think um, absolutely. And couples, it can be challenging no matter what the dream is, but I would suggest get a dream, put it on the fridge, focus on it as a couple. Is it a holiday? Is it something material? Is it emotional? Like what is driving you to get to the next level and both be aligned and connect with that goal? Because life will throw up a lot of obstacles and a lot of challenges. And if your why isn't bigger than your how, you'll just give up. And so we've got to get why are we doing this? Why am I getting out of bed? Why am I getting in the car? Why am I facing rejection? It's got to be big enough to overcome you know, the things that you're going to have to do. Yeah, I completely agree. That's so important. So with Kent, so at the moment he's he's not working in your business. No, he's working for um, so uh, some clients of ours grew mm -hmm. their business to quite a substantial amount and have moved near where we live on the Gold Coast. Mm -hmm. And so she was ready to step out of the business, but the same thing, they had enough cash flow, but not the right person. So he went into their business for 12 months and freed her up to retire. Okay, fantastic. So he, yeah, so he has got a few more months, um, you know, to achieve that goal that he set. 
Um, and whether he stays on or doesn't stay on will be based on the KPIs, you know, that the, the owner has set. Yep. Um, but, yeah, she's living her best life. So, I, you know, he, as I said, he's a great supporter and he understands small business and how to grow. And so, you know, he's building all the systems and the structures in their business at the moment. And he's doing that while still providing some support to you and yes. your yeah yeah well fantastic really it's you know he's the main caregiver for the kids you know so if I'm working Tuesday Wednesdays I'm out of uh, you know the city I'm in Brisbane normally working um then he has to take sick days if the kids are sick or he has to you know so that was his he was a full-time stay-at-home dad for three years part-time for six years and um, we had other support, which has been wonderful. But, um, yeah, he really wanted to do that. He, he talked about that, you know, this life, ambition wasn't a big thing. He didn't care about some business card or, a you know, flash car or title or anything. He really wanted to be a great husband and a great dad. And he's content in that. And it's so important that he's happy um, because doing those roles can be quite challenging. And so, um, so yeah, I think it's it's good to be able to get clarity on, you know, what people's ambition level is. And uh, very early on, we had a financial planner who sat him down and said, you know, Kate is extremely ambitious and talented. So you need to make sure you're happy. And it's very important, Kate, that Kent is happy. If he's unhappy, that will be a sign of struggle. And that has always come true. I reflect back to that conversation whenever he's unhappy, you know, that sort of casts a shadow on everything we're all doing and he's sort of the thermostat in our house and I'm the thermometer. So if that thermostat isn't set at a, you know, a happy space, um, it causes a lot of tension throughout our whole family. Um, so it's not so much about his earning potential, although he earns great money um, and I can match that money, it's more about him being happy. That's a really... A really interesting way, I think, of developing the relationship, not just in life, but also in business. I really love that he's still there as the support in the business to your employees, even though he's not technically part of the business. That's yeah. And all of our team at the moment are virtual. So because of COVID, yep. you know, it's it's been easier for him because you can throw a text message or contact my main EA lives in Coffs Harbour, you know, and has we've had border lockdown. So we haven't seen her in two and a half years uh, other than on Zoom. Um, you know, so I guess the flexibility it's shown us that's possible. Uh, the other big milestone that I think we achieved was the money conversation because um, that had always caused tension um, and we didn't know how to discuss it or talk about it. And I don't know where I came up with the idea, but I sat Kent down and said, look, it's not about where you work. I will match whatever you earn. And he, oh, he wanted to resign as a director. That's, so we had had an argument because I needed him to sign all these trust documents and he was trying to do something in his life and I was trying to pull him into the business to sign you know distributing profits to the kids and and he it was too overwhelming and he said you know what I want to resign as a director I don't want anything to do with your business I just want to be the father of our kids and your husband and so I went back to my accountant and I said is that possible like with our trust structures and he's like absolutely that's possible um 
And so as we dissected the company, I realised, well, then I never have to get him to sign any taxation ever again, which is great because he trusts me, which is wonderful. Um, But it also helped me to see if I wanted to grow my business, I needed capital in the accounts. And so then we set an agreement. Whatever he puts into our bills account, I'll match. And we'll live on that lifestyle. And then whatever I do outside of that, is up to my discretion. Now, that was a huge turning point for me. And over the next probably two to three years, I felt huge amounts of guilt and huge amounts of like uncertainty in that space. Um, just because, you know, it's sort of we'd always shared everything. Um, you know, and sometimes it was resentment. You know, I paid for all the cars, I paid for the fuel in the cars, I paid for, you know, the servicing of the cars, the registration of the cars, the electricity for the house, the, you know, certain other expenses that come out of the company. Um, and that wasn't being in, taken into consideration to what I was matching of his post-tax income. Yep. And so that was another stumbling block for me that I needed him to validate that. I'm like, you know, you're saying, where's your money? And I'm like, oh, you know, such and he's like, I don't want to hear it. Where's your money? And so, you know, so that that was a really great conversation that we had to have where I said, Do you understand that even though I'm matching your income, I'm also paying tax and I'm paying these expenses that are consistent? And you know, that that's just the reality of relationships, isn't it? You've got to have these communication things. But when I talk to women, especially women who are struggling in their relationships. And their businesses are going great and then they pull their husband into their business and suddenly they've lost an income, right? So it's not just that you've gained an employee, you've lost an income and now you have to validate their value and their time. And that can be a really tricky place to be in your relationship. And when I was there, I really struggled, really, really struggled. And, you know, I can remember clearly one Tuesday, Kent was out sunbaking, sunbaking, <laughs> And I was running round like a blue-ass fly and I lost it. I just lost it. He said, well, this is my break. Like this is, I don't get a break later. This is my break. I'm like, break? I don't get a break. When did I last have a break? And I just, yeah, was trying to explain to him what my life was like. And um, he's like, well, you need a break. Just take a break, right? And so for him it was just black-white, you're running yourself around because you're a psychopath, not because you can't have a break. No one's telling you you can't have a break. Don't annoy me. I'm on my break. And I just thought, isn't it true that men really honour themselves and do what they need to do when they need to do it? And, you know, I'd walk past the laundry and I'd hear the laundry say, there's three loads of washing in here. And I'd walk past the dishwasher. You haven't unpacked me yet, you know, and I'd walk past the bedroom. Oh, I haven't changed the kids' sheets, you know. I had all this guilt And as soon as I was meant to be resting, there was like 10 hours of backed up, you know, duty Mm. that was unpaid and unvalued. And so that that was a big turning point for me when I said, right, this is how it'll be. I booked myself a week at Gwingana, which is a lifestyle retreat. I took, I got my mother-in-law to move in so she could look after everything. And I, I went and solved the problem. I was like, what does Kate need? And I realized Kate needs a wife. That's what I needed. I needed a wife. I needed somebody who could, you know, intuit what needed to happen. And I called her a domestic PA and I advertised. And I tell you, I had three applicants. I could have hired all three of them. 
three wives showed up. They could cook, they could clean, they could do emails. One lady had done an MBA and been a nanny overseas and just loved, you know, that support role. Um, so we hired Giselle, was her name, and for seven months I bought myself a wife. And so I literally, if I felt like bathing the kids, I'd bath the kids, she'd do the dinner. If I didn't feel like that, I'd take the kids to the park, text me when dinner's on the table. We'd sit down to dinner, she would do the dishes and go home. You know, we, we just allowed ourselves seven months of just, and child number three would not have come without my wife, like without Giselle. <laughs> Because we needed that time to just decompress. Business had generated some good profits. We needed to buy back some time. The stuff that I found that was low enjoyment, low skill, she loved. She loved to add value in that space. And then Kent decided a different career opportunity for him at the end of that seven months and went on to study and and pursue a different career um, and got happy again. And so we just... You know, we've sort of had to navigate some tricky spaces, but that was a real tricky one. So at the end of the seven months, how did you, like, recalibrate around the both of you? Like, was it the both of you that then picked up the things that Giselle was doing? Or Yes, yeah. yeah. Actually, Giselle was the one who was most upset out of everything. I, <laughs> I, sort of, I regained my energy, which was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she was like, are you kidding? This was, this was a dream role. Um, but I was jealous. She took the kids to, a um, a fun park and she left her phone in the car. And so I was messaging to say, you know, how's the day going? How's the day going? And after seven hours, I had not heard. And I, I've probably had what most, you know, mothers have had that sense of out of control. Um, and my mum had been waiting for me to have this. She's like, I can't believe you let some other woman take your kids and whatever. And I was like, it's great. Oh, my God, I love it. Um, but I just had this freak out. I had this absolute freak out that she didn't respect, you know, the vulnerability that I felt in that place. But what it did was it sharpened and woke me up to go, hang on, what, what are you doing? Um, you've got your energy back. Let's bring this back in-house, you know, and, and manage this as a family. And um, you know, from there, we just use family support, you know, as opposed to, and I, you know, we got routines and rituals. Now I'm like the queen of washing and organized and, you know, but I think when the kids are really little, you're just tired. And what was important was making the money more than putting a load of washing on, you know, so, you know, that, that for me was just a value assessment. Um, But it was, I'm probably good for six or seven months. And then I want everyone out of my house and I just want to have my own nest again so I've also taken on an international student um, when the kids were at a really great age they were sort of two five and seven and she lived with us and um, she was Brazilian studying she'd studied law and she came out to Australia to study English and so I paid her a hundred dollars a week and it included all the food and she looked after the kids and played with them and took them to the pool and did all of that kind of stuff and um yeah, so for $100 a week, that was a huge um, time saver because we were just heading into summer holidays and two months where the kids needed entertaining. And um, and that worked out really well as well. But um, her visa ran out and, you know, same thing. We were like, that's about enough time that we can have someone living in our home. Um, but, you know, solutions are available like that for busy working mums. 
That's very true. You just need to sometimes just think outside the box a bit, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. So, Kate, um, now I believe you have some free resources for our listeners. So where, what are they and where can they access them? Yeah, so if you just, um, if you've got an iPhone or Samsung and you go to where podcasts are and you type Kate Osborne, K-A-T-E-O-S-B-O-R-N-E, there's, um, there's an empowerment, 52 30-minute sessions on how to become more empowered and find your voice. Um, what I found when I was coaching at a global level, um, I was amazed at how people did not know how to forgive themselves, as an example. You know, so that was something that I'd grown up in a family of, you know, six kids. And so we were always forgiving people because people were constantly upsetting each other. And you just forgive and you forget and you move on. And I had, you know, situations where people were holding grudges for years. It's like, forgive them. How do I do that? And so the empowerment program looks at a different aspect um, for 30 minutes. And once again, suggest just to do one a week. But I've had people do one a day for 52 days because once they start, they just use them as an oracle. Um, and so that's on there, as well as the couples in business, which is my organised argument. Um, that is more sequential. You know, session one to 52 will make more sense because it sort of builds on each other. But the empowerment one are all standalone. Um, we've also got... Um, for any listeners that want to identify what their strengths are as a leader, um, we're offering, it's a, a one-on-one Zoom session with me using a profile um, with the raw data. So when I did my psychology degree, what I loved was battery tests where you can see who you think you are versus who you actually are. And mm-hmm. certainly for women that work with their partner, when you do this little 30-minute, 40-minute um, breakdown, and we give you a little sheet that says these are their strengths, these are the areas of improvement. And if you want to get a better result, you should maybe consider this type of strategy with this person. Um, and so that's for any listeners that you've got. If you want, just um, you know, contact me and I'll be able to set that up for you. Fantastic. And I'll include your contact details and your website and social links and everything in the show notes um, and also on our website. So people can go there to find you so Kate what are your key thoughts or final takeaways that you'd like to leave with our listeners who are who are currently or have been considering going into business with their partner yeah absolutely I think the key takeaways tell the truth you know because so often an honest with compassion answer is going to lead you to a a better conversation Um, I think I would try to protect my spouse by telling them a half-truth and there was always conflict after that because actually what I was really thinking was far simpler. And so I think having um, a framework or a culture that you can identify is it's okay to tell the truth, just do it with compassion. You know, maybe set it up in a regular time so that you're not pouncing on each other at random times in the day and then having arguments. So, you know, structure those things to consider meetings like us on a Monday night. I find I can change. I just don't want to do it on a Saturday morning. You know, like don't come to me on a Saturday morning and ask me, did that invoice get sent or are you kidding? Like I am trying to, you know, decompress from what a crazy week was. So that that's another bit of advice to take away is, you know, if if you're anything like me, put the stressful stuff Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> so then you get to sort of lunchtime on Thursday and you can, okay, regroup, 
have a weekend as a couple, go away, enjoy time together, be normal people with normal friends. And then on Monday, you wrap that energy back up again and you push through your, you know, fear and whatever you've got to discuss Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So get a rhythm to what you're doing, whatever works for you, but that has really helped me. And my kids then know mum's in work mode, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 80% of my productivity happens in my workspace then. And when I pick them up on Thursday, I'm a different person. They can feel I'm a different person. Friday, I do some charity work and that just balances my life because if I can give back to a community um, I help disabled kids and so I go and sing there's a a charity called Crossroads and 200 disabled mentally and um, physically come together and um, I entertain them when I can and that has just helped me beyond anything I've ever done because I come home as a mother and I realize My kids can walk and talk and feed themselves and I'm just full of gratitude because I see these mums there on a Friday morning with high needs kids and their life has changed forever. And I have these great kids. Why am I picking on them all the time, right? So that that I found a charity that really, you know, soothes my soul and then I can use my talents and passions in a charitable way and just balance up that, you know, alpha energy that it takes to run a company. That That is all fantastic advice. I love the idea of front-loading your week. That's great. And just having something like that at the end of your week, that's brilliant. That's all fantastic. It has been so nice to talk to you, Kate. Thank you so much for your time. I've I've learned a lot. Wonderful. Well, let me know if I can do anything for anybody at any time. Fantastic. And again, I'll have all your contact details in the show notes as well as on our website. Um, So people, if anyone wants to get in contact with you, they can go there. My niece came and did a linked tree for me. So that's, she's studying PR at university and, um, I'd never heard of a linked tree, but now people are like, have you got your linked tree? So if you go on in Instagram, there is a linked tree there and all of the information goes out to my websites and have a couple with me and everything on that linked tree. If you know what that means, you probably know where to find it. Yes. <laughs> so that's the, the link in the bio area for those who don't know. Exactly. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's thanks good. so much for your time, Kate. It's my pleasure. And thank you for asking me to be on the podcast. And I'm really looking forward to um, supporting any women out there that need, you know, somebody to lean on at any time or listen to one of the the sessions and and recognise you're not alone. It is a crazy time to be in business, raising kids and juggling marriages and things, but it is possible and you can have joy in the process. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit subscribe. If you'd like to learn more, then check out our website, www.workwifewinetime.com.au. While you're there, jump on our mailing list to receive special updates and offers from our guests. Until next time, take care and drink responsibly.